Welcome to episode number 45 on the My Story Podcast. The My Story Podcast features interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs, interesting people who tell their stories and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, my name is Conrad Weaver. I'm your host for the show today, and I'm so glad you've stopped by to listen to today's podcast. Greg Johnson hunts storms. He is one of North America's top professional storm chasers and severe weather experts. He's also an accomplished photographer, speaker, and workshop leader. He's documented hundreds of storms across the U.S. and Canada, including a few of the biggest and most devastating storms to hit the United States. He shared the aftermath of the massive twisters that devastated Joplin, Missouri, and Moore, Oklahoma a few years ago. Greg is also the author of a number of books, including Blown Away, A Year Through the Lens of the Tornado Hunter, I have a copy right here. And What is the Green Sky, which gained much respect in the photography community. His most recent project entitled Camera Canada was done in conjunction with dozens of his photography students and was released in December of 2018. Greg lives in Regina, Saskatchewan. Greg, welcome to the My Story Podcast. All right, I'm glad to be here. Man, it's been how many years since we met? I think it was in 2012, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That we met. You were speaking up at the Custom Harvester con- Convention up in <laughs> yeah. Saskatoon or some godforsaken place, you know, yeah. up in Canada. <laughs> oh, yeah, godforsaken place. <laughs> hey, listen, right right now, I think you could put that label on a lot of different places, but true, uh, yeah, true. Well, I'll, I'll wear that proudly today, I guess. <laughs> well, I just remember landing in Saskatoon and it was like, 25 below zero and and the pilot coming on the airplane and he was like we're gonna try to land and we're like yeah don't try you know (laughs) there is no try (laughs) there is no try in flying planes right (laughs) and i think we met there at the convention and i got actually got your book i got it right here right on man so greg you're known as the tornado hunter so how did you get to where you are today Man, isn't it fun finding out people's backstories, right? Like, how it is. Yeah. Like one of my favorite things, before I get into my thing, one of my favorite um, experiences when it comes to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the air quotes and say celebrities, is when you find out this really cool backstory, you know, like, like the whole Harrison Ford used to be a carpenter right, kind of right. thing, you know, yeah. and just, just stuff like that and how they randomly got dropped into a, a movie role or uh, like, I'm thinking about that, that uh, uh, great character from Captain Phillips, the guy from Minnesota, who's oh, yeah. Or, yeah. originally Somali. And so it's like, yep. what? like, imagine the path that that person takes. Anyway, right. I just, yeah. you know, I just thought I would say that. What a, That's what why a, I do this show. That's why I do yeah. the My Story podcast. I get in the, you know, behind the scenes and the backstory of people that I've met around, yeah. you know, across the years. So what's your backstory? Oh man, my backstory. So uh, the, the whole tornado thing is, is honestly, it's just a, it's, it's just a, a whimsical uh, fantasy thing that ended up happening. Uh, no, no, there, this is not a story of, um, you know, overcoming some hardship <laughs> in life. It's not a story of, 
you, you know, uh, I, I woke up when I was four years old and always wanted to be a meteorologist and, <laughs> and you know, just worked my whole life to get there. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Essentially, I, um, I, I grew up in, in the uh, eastern time zone out in eastern Canada. Hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I, I graduated from university. So I, after high school, I, I uh, obviously went to university. And uh, when I graduated university uh, with my, hold on now, political science degree. <laughs> Whoa, that's a little different than uh, chasing storms. Yeah. So I get this political science degree and uh, I was working for a very ultra conservative uh, member of parliament in, in Canada's parliament. The day I graduated, I started a... Uh, uh, an internship there. And uh, I actually really enjoyed it. It was, uh, you know, I thought uh, um, the start of a a long career in politics, something Mm. that I'd always been interested in as a kid. I know that sounds weird. Mm. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, and and, you know, listen, I, I got this job and I was literally working on Parliament Hill, which is, you know, Canada's mm. Capitol Hill kind of mm. thing, right? Okay. And that's and in what, Ottawa? In that? Ottawa, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm working for this member of parliament. It's like working for a member of Congress. And I'm writing speeches and I'm doing casework for uh, constituents. And there was an election in 1993, uh, about six months after I had started uh, working. And this election in our parliament the, the reigning conservative government went from 280 seats in the House of Commons down to two. Oh, my goodness. Like, like it was that big of a landslide. Wow. That's crazy. That'd be like our, you know, Senate going from 50 now to two. Just, yeah, right. Literally, yeah. literally. Like it'd, be, be it'd, be, it'd be like the 50-50 split right now. You talk about a revolution, right? That, that's exactly <laughs> what it was. It was, it, was a, it was a repudiation of the existing government. Anyway, mm. so I was, I was working for that government. Mm. So I was literally unemployed. And on my resume, my only job experience was that I had been working for this government. <laughs> So needless to say, I was unemployable. Uh, my university degree, I was, I listen, I was working at a gas station at that stage, hmm. <laughs> literally pumping gas yeah. at a full serve gas station. And uh, I thought, well, there's got to be more to this. So I, I uh, wrote the uh, LSAT exams for uh, entering uh, law school. Mm-hmm. I thought, listen, I got to do something with this. You know, I, I got to turn this into a thing. I think I'm a pretty smart dude. So I wrote the LSATs and I, I scored reasonably well. I didn't, you know, I didn't knock the lights out or anything, but I, mm-hmm. I did. Re- I, I did well enough that I could get into law school. And literally, the only law schools that offered me positions in their schools of law were schools out on the Canadian prairies. So that's mm-hmm. my that's the North Dakotas and South Dakotas of Canada. Okay. Mm-hmm. And at the time, growing up in a big city and uh, fancying myself, uh, you know, uh, you know, honestly, kind of a douchey, <laughs> douchey urbanite. Guy. Yeah, douchey urban guy. I was like, there, I, listen, there's no way I'm moving out there, you know, to to go to to go to. I mean, no, like this farm fields and like uh, here in Saskatchewan, you can actually see your dog running away for three days. <laughs> So. And I can I can confirm that because I've been there and I've seen some of those wide yeah, open. Yeah. I mean, you think Kansas and North Dakota is big, 
you haven't seen nothing until you've been no, to Saskatchewan. Man. Yeah, there's a, there's a great, <laughs> there's a town in uh, Saskatchewan named Bigger, B-I-G-G-A-R, <laughs> and their town sign literally says, uh, New York is big, this is bigger. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I said, this is not for me. And so I literally turned down law school hmm. because I, I didn't want to make that move out to this uh, Hickville. And I mean, that was a terrible attitude. Hmm. Um, and okay, so this is where my story takes a, a really big departure. I'm working still at the gas station. Hmm. My legal career and my law career are done. <laughs> and uh, I had this opportunity to referee hockey. And I know that sounds like a crazy departure. Quite a Canadian story. Though. I was going to say, really a Canadian thing, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But um, I had done that in high school as a kid. Um, the, you know, the, the local recreation association had a program to get kids into officiating because they needed officials for hockey. And I said I did it when I was in high school and I made a little bit of spending money every week. And when I was in university, I uh, actually, that was my part-time job as I, I refereed uh, the intramural hockey. And so I thought, well, I might as well like do something, stay it's on the I can do. Right? Yeah, yeah. Something yeah. I can do. And not only that, like, I mean, I was, uh, listen, this is where I take a Canadian turn, eh? Is that <laughs> I, I, uh, I mean, I love hockey and I, and I grew up playing hockey and I grew up in a household where my dad revered hockey. Mm. And, uh, so this was an opportunity to get back on the ice. Anyway, I did that for, uh, about well, six, eight months, something like that. And, and I guess I was pretty good at it because I got a phone call from the National Hockey League. Hmm. Like the National Hockey League. Wow. Like this, this is like, you know, like the, the, the Montreal Canadiens and the New York Rangers. Sure. Yeah. Like I got a call from them saying, uh, hey, we're, we're looking for young officials. You know, uh, we, we'd be interested in, in getting you into our training program. Is it something you'd be interested in doing? Uh, of course, I immediately jumped on that opportunity and they said, well, listen, we would love to get you into the program, but uh, there, there's only one area of the, the country that we really need officials right now. Let me guess. <laughs> yeah, you guessed right. <laughs> We'd like to move you to Saskatchewan, right out in the middle of the Canadian prairies. Literally the place that I said I wasn't going to move to. Right, for law school, yeah. For law school, right? Yeah. So anyway, I, I ended up uh, uh, driving my little Mazda 323 up, up the Trans-Canada Highway, and I ended up uh, refereeing in the uh, Western Hockey League. They told me, hey, one year in the Western Hockey League, and then we're going to move you to the American Hockey League. Hmm. Uh, and if things go as planned, then you know we'll get you into the NHL. So uh, I was supposed to do one year in the Western Hockey League, and um, after about eight years... Uh, in the Western <laughs> Hockey League, uh, I realized I probably was never going to make it to the National Hockey And I actually realized that when the National Hockey League called me and said, you're never going to make it to the National <laughs> Hockey League. Oh, that's clear. It's writing on the wall, right? <laughs> and listen, I had to do something. And, and um, so the year was the year that I made, made realized that all this was, was you know, not going to happen. Uh, my dream had been crushed, but uh, I was actually uh, that year I was at a national championship. I was asked to referee a national championship here in Canada. And while at that hockey tournament, there was a guy there in, in the building and he had this black box in his hand <laughs> and he would run around the rink, run around the arena. And he was taking 
pictures of people with this black box. Looked mm-hmm. like a camera, mm-hmm. but it was some kind of magic because mm-hmm. every time he pulled the trigger, the, the picture popped up <laughs> on the back of the camera. Yeah. I mean, people were like, there were people literally looking at him as if he was some sort of shaman or something. Like, <laughs> they were they, like, this was magic, magic. And, and people were just mesmerized by it. And um, I left that tournament and I was just, I was obsessed with it. I, I, uh, and, and, uh, you know, when I was in high school and university, I worked for the newspaper. I was, you know, I had a dark room in my basement Mm -hmm. and I was always interested in photography, but never really kind of pursued it or anything. Mm -hmm. But it it was at a moment in time. And, and I don't know if you've ever read Gladwell's book outliers. Yes. It's absolutely the, the, it's absolutely the book. Anybody who's listening if you haven't read Outliers, go down to your local bookshop. Guaranteed, it's out on the shelf. It's yeah. not. It's not something you're going to have to order. But this was a book that changed my life. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and one of the things that Gladwell says, one of the stories of success that, that Gladwell talks about, or one of the the the, the path pathways to success, is, and this is where really my political views changed in life. This is where my, my privilege that I have that now 20 years later is a, is a buzzword, but this is where I realize that my privilege has given, given me this incredible opportunity. Um, I read that book and it was also a, a catalyst for saying, okay, you got to make a big change and you got to do something right now. One of the things that Gladwell talks about in that book is this idea of the messaging that we've been given our kids and people in our society for generations, that the only thing you need to become successful is to pull yourself up from your bootstraps, work your ass off, Hmm. and somehow there's going to be success at the end of that rainbow. And time and again, and uh, he's such a good writer. Um, story after story after story showed me that th- that's a load of crap. Mm-hmm. There's an element of hard work, of course, in anything. Mm-hmm. But your lot in life, your your place in life, the 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 color of your skin at a certain time in history, uh, the 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 year you were born. Heck, mm. in in the world of professional sports, the month you were the born. The month you were born, right? The right. month you were born. Does he start that book with the hockey illustration? That's that's the whole thing, yeah. right? Like the right. so the, so so just to <clears throat> paraphrase the the first story in the book, uh, he's at a hockey game. And uh, his wife says, hey, there's something wrong with this program. This can't be right. He's at a national championship hockey game. There's 40 kids on the ice. Mm -hmm. And one of them is born after October 31st. Hmm. And nine of them are are born in the month of January. Mm -hmm. Statistically, that's impossible. Mm -hmm. So that was how how he started the book. Well, I was looking at my own situation now. I was uh, 30 years old. I had a good income at the time. I was presented with an opportunity, uh, which was digital photography. Like a, the digital mm-hmm. revolution happened right around the turn of the century. I love that phrase, turn of the century. <laughs> but I had this incredible opportunity that I actually had some disposable income. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I could get in the door mm-hmm. at that time. I spent $60,000 of my ex-wife's money and <laughs> I bought a digital camera system. Who could do that? In, in, seriously, right. in, 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 in the year 2000, who, who was in a position to do that? Right. If you were older, let's say you were 40 and you were an established photographer and you'd already invested thousands mm-hmm. of dollars mm-hmm. in film equipment, mm-hmm. you were slow to make that transition. You'd already made mm-hmm. this big investment. If right. you were younger than that, you likely didn't have $60,000 to invest in this new, I was uniquely positioned. Mm-hmm. I bought that camera system, right? Like literally I, I ordered it in 1999. Uh, mm-hmm. I got it in 2000. I was, I was like that early of an adopter. And I couldn't understand why everybody wasn't doing this. Mm-hmm. The, there, was a, a, there was a website by the Professional Photographers Association called digitalsucks.com. <laughs> I'm not making that up. <laughs> it was a website dedicated to convincing people that digital wasn't going to catch on, that this was never going to be a thing. Think about Probably that. Probably funded by Kodak, right? Well, and you know what? Kodak <laughs> went out of business eight years later. Right, exactly. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> so professional photographers across North America, around the world, really didn't make that transition until about 2005. Hmm. So, so you were so, ahead of the game there then. You were five, five years, years ahead. Five yeah. years. And one of the things in Gladwell's book, Outliers, he says, hey, you're not world-class at anything until you've done 10,000 hours at it. Right. Yeah. That's across the board, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. Right? Audio podcasts. Like, I'm listening to, to the sound of your voice through that awesome mic you've got. Uh, you got a very silky voice, by the way. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Guaranteed your show didn't sound like this the first time. You did. I can it. guarantee it didn't. Guaranteed. Right. We're all like that. We learn, we make mistakes, we improve. Da, da, da. I had a five year head start on people. Mm. And here's the amazing thing about the technology. Over the course of the last 20 years, I've taken about 5 million photos. That's mm. not hyperbole. That's not mm-hmm. exaggeration. That I've done 5 million photos. Do you know how many rolls of 24 shots you would have to put through a camera? (laughs) It's fair to say that people like me who, who got into the game at about that same time have taken more photos than anyone in the history of mankind. Mm -hmm. Of course. That's a very, very unique position that puts me into a, a very small group. Not because I'm a better photographer. I, I say this all the time. I, I'm, I'm in awe of plenty of, there's a million great photographers out there that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm, right. Because they didn't get into it at the right time. They weren't yeah. born in the right space. I follow a photographer. She's from Calcutta, India. She is amazing. Amazing. She's a, a generational talent. Mm. No one will ever know her name. Mm. Because she's from one of the poorest places mm-hmm. on earth. Mm-hmm. And she does, she wasn't given the same opportunity of birthright, of color of skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's the list goes on. Anyway, I am super fortunate in that regard. I got into it. I spent 10 years just taking pictures and, and making money and, and it became a business. And I, uh, at one point I had 26 employees. Mm-hmm. It was an amazing, amazing ride. And then in 2010, uh, life changed for me. I just, mm. I, you know, I had a, had a reckoning and uh, went through a divorce and 
realized at one point when my when I'm screaming at my son and he, he looks up from his bed as a you know little seven year old kid and I can see he's got terror in his face and hmm. I just went what the hell hmm. and uh, yeah I ended up getting divorced uh, likely my fault not hers um, you know my kids uh, I had three kids at that point they weren't exactly. Uh, the biggest fans, um, and I needed to I needed to make a change, and so mental health came a you know pretty big buzzword for me, and uh, I went through those things and medication and coming to terms with my my background and my past with my father, and realized that I needed to make some some big time changes. So uh, I went through this big crossroads in life in in two thousand when I got into photography. And uh, I'm, I went through another one in 2010. And uh, I ended up selling my business, did quite well on that because the business was quite successful and decided that, uh, you know, I needed to, to do something different. Just from a financial standpoint, I had the opportunity to, again, opportunity, there's that word, right? I had this opportunity to uh, spend a little time without having to go seven days a week into my office and uh, not have to worry about paying the mortgage and all those kind of things. And so I, I decided to take a vacation that I'd always wanted to do, which was uh, to drive around the United States. I just was never had that opportunity before. And so solo driver vehicle, just got and no idea where I was going to stay at any given night. And, mm-hmm. uh, put my camera on the passenger seat and uh, started driving around the country and photographed some storms here and there on the plains. And, and then uh, uh, the following year um, I was, I was really, really deep into like into sadness. Like, uh, like I don't want to even say depression. I don't even know that depression would be a clinical term for it, but I was just sad. Like I just was disconnected with my family, with my kids I was, um, you know, kind of lost in terms of this business that I had built. I had to get rid of. I had sold out, and uh, you know, I really didn't kind of know where I wanted to go. And I'd sort of got into some forum boards on, about weather and uh, following some uh, some meteorologists. And in the spring of, of 2011, I decided, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I'm gonna make some money off of this photography thing with with in terms of uh, of storms. Mm-hmm. You and, had probably taken some really, you know, cool pictures and photos of. Yeah, that's the thing. The yeah, the, yeah, that's the thing is that uh, again, you remember they, they say that success, uh, overnight success, is a minimum of fifteen to <laughs> whatever years. And so, yeah, I mean, I had the, the I had the camera skills. I just didn't know anything mm-hmm. about the weather, but sure. I'd had a few opportunities to where I got some shots where people were like, "Whoa, that's cool!" I even yeah. I had even sold some images mm-hmm. to magazines. And then 2011 came around and, you know, if you've read my, my book, I, I had a, I, again, this in, like opportunity, a tragic opportunity, not tragic for me, but, but tragic for the community of Joplin, Missouri. Mm-hmm. But I was at Joplin, Missouri when they were devastated by an EF5 tornado mm-hmm. that destroyed 8,000 buildings mm-hmm. 20,000 vehicles, you know, for your listeners, look up Joplin, Missouri, Mm -hmm. check out the images. I mean, you're going to be just awestruck. I did that day, that first day, I was there for four days. And and that first day, I probably did 50 
television interviews. Hmm. And did you actually see the tornado? Or the no, storm? no. Did like were... really, there's not many that did. Like if you, hmm. if you if you go to YouTube, there's only one or two videos, and and those dudes were in very precarious mm -hmm. locations. I didn't know enough about the weather to put myself mm -hmm. into that position. Mm -hmm. But um, what I saw in front of me was like this big rainstorm kind mm -hmm. of idea. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and we didn't even get to the location uh, like into the actual town until the next day. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that was roads blocked by debris mm -hmm. and, and police and all the rest of it. But I got in there and I had an opportunity to document with my camera the, what happened in, in Joplin. And because of that, and because I had boots on the ground, which, you know, news organizations from around the world, this was the number one news story right. Right. on the planet yeah. at the time. Because it had, it, it killed what, 120? 187. 187, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, many of those were in the days and weeks following, sure. you know, where mm -hmm. they succumbed to injuries, but, but yeah, 187. And, but I was there, I was on the ground, ground zero, like literally at the spot that looked like a nuclear bomb went mm -hmm. off. And that's not an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. So I had an opportunity to do all these interviews. It was, it, it was, it was a kind of, um, man, I hate, I hate to even say that this was an opportunity because mm. it, because it is such a, a, a tragedy, but people cared about the story. Mm -hmm. And I was there telling that story. Mm. And so all of a sudden I was getting requests for photos, for interviews, uh, being featured on the cover of newspapers around the world. On a local level, I was being asked to speak to government agencies about, you know, what I saw and, and how do we prevent that here? And I mean, all these, just so many wild things. Anyway, um, I realized at that point that I could probably make a living doing this. Hmm. And over the course of the next four or five years, I witnessed, documented, shared the stories of some of the, again, generational weather events. I was at the mm. largest, I was in, not just that, mm. I was in the largest tornado ever recorded at El Reno, Oklahoma Wow! in 2013. I'm, I, I'm one of a handful of people that has witnessed at uh, Pilger, Nebraska, two EF4 tornadoes on the ground about a mile apart from each other. Mm. One on one side of the road, one on the other side of the road. And EF4 is like, like the second largest type of tornado. Correct? Yeah, like EF, just... EF5 was Joplin, EF4. Mm -hmm. And the only reason these were EF4 and not EF5 is they, they hit one community. Had those tornadoes hit, I mean, we, this is a very rural area. Mm -hmm. Had they hit a, a, a city center, they may have been EF5s. We can only classify mm -hmm. tornadoes when we see the damage they sure. do. They don't hit anything. It's hard right. to classify them much higher. Anyway, the bottom line is uh, I can go on and on and on with the list of, of, of events that I've been at, some tragedies, some unbelievable stories of survival. Bottom line is, I guess I did pretty well at it. Hmm. But I also appreciate the fact that I was uniquely, uniquely qualified. Like when I say uniquely, I don't mean that word lightly. Hmm. I was uniquely qualified in, in 2011 hmm. to be in that spot. Hmm. Who... Think about the, the number of people that would have had a couple million photos under their belt hmm. in 2010. Think mm -hmm. about the number of people that eh, had the disposable income to just drive around the country and mm -hmm. take pictures of storms for a month and, or six weeks or something mm -hmm. like that. 
It's pretty the, rare. You, you're getting down to a pretty small, small yeah. group. And, and it turns out that that's where opportunity lies. That, that's how it exists for people. Mm. You know, if you think about all the people that, have, that are, are, are wildly successful, all of them have had some advantage. Mm-hmm. Something that, that gave them that sort of, and even and we think people come out of nowhere to do great things. That's never the case. Right. 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 Like you, you don't you, see the work that the years of work ahead of time that no one knows about. Yeah. You know, like the, the, the classic story is Bill Gates. Right. Right. I, I was, his, his name came to my mind as you were yeah, talking. Yeah. Right. Like, like he, he was given an opportunity at a school that had a computer. Well, in mm-hmm. the, in it, when he was in high school, there was like two high schools in the United States that mm-hmm. had a computer. And then when he went to university, he, conned his professors into letting him have extra time on the mainframe, mm-hmm. which cost corporations thousands and thousands of dollars to be able to do that. But he had this opportunity because of the, mm-hmm. the, his lot, his timing, mm-hmm. you know, all those things. I, I feel that way. Not, not, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not, listen, I turned the computer on t- this morning. I was just happy it turned on. Okay. <laughs> so I am not comparing myself to Bill Gates at all. I just mean that, um, you know, just that in my field and in, in my thing, I had opportunities mm-hmm. that other people didn't have. And I do appreciate and recognize yeah. that. So anyway, that was your first question. We just killed 30 minutes. <laughs> Anything? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What? I think so that's how, all the time did, we have. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for joining us today on the My Story podcast. <laughs> what What's the storm that you were in or around that really scared you? Well, man, the El Reno tornado in 2013. So four storm chasers were killed that day. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe there was 20 or so civilians, uh, civilian, whatever, uh, you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Non chasers that were killed. Uh, it was a tornado that uh, ended up being 2.6 miles wide. Holy moly. Wind speeds uh, were calculated in excess of, hold your breath here for a second, 300 miles per hour. Jeepers. There's not much that can survive in, in that. No. And, and I mean, uh, we were fortunate. Like, so let me just give you a little bit of a description of what's happening in a tornado. Inside the tornado, inside the vortex uh, of, of, a, of a storm like that, there may be pockets or, or small, smaller sort of embedded vortices in the parent mm. circulation that have areas that reach that wind speed. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe the parent circulation is maybe, you know, maybe a hundred miles per hour, you may have these embedded vortices. Mm-hmm. Well, we got hit by that tornado truck was tossed around. And you have a truck that's like armored and it's got all armored, the protection stuff. Roll, roll cage, the whole mm-hmm. deal. We survived. We were fine. Uh, shooken. Um, uh, uh, Ricky, who was in the truck with me, doesn't smoke, but he, he smoked two cigarettes at a time uh, in, the, in the minutes after uh, this, uh, this experience. The three of the storm chasers that were killed were uh, working on a research project for National Geographic. Mm. Tim Samaras, uh, who is the lead of that project at the University of Colorado, uh, Tim was the, and here's, I'm going to throw a Canadian at you here. Uh, Tim was the Wayne Gretzky of storm chasing. Mm, 
Okay. He was the top of the pile. He was the goat. He was the goat. He was Mm -hmm. the Tom Brady. He was the, uh, you know, he was the Michael Jordan, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever sport you want. We all have our, our, our guy and, Mm -hmm. and in storm chasing and in the world of, uh, of tornadoes, uh, Tim Samaras was, was that guy. And he was the one of the ones killed. Uh, his vehicle was thrown uh, about a mile. Uh, wow. His his son was in the vehicle with him. He was also mm-hmm. killed. And another uh, another researcher. Yeah, it was it was terrifying. It was uh, a reckoning. It was a uh, uh, you know if you if you like the term a coming to Jesus moment. Mm. Literally two days later, we were right back at it. Mm. And I know that sounds crazy and people think, what? No, mm-hmm. how, is that, how is that even possible? But, you know, there's incredible science behind uh, weather. Mm-hmm. Over the last 20 years, the improvements in forecasting, is, I mean, literally we are living through the movie Twister. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, 25 years ago, lead times on, on tornadoes when you were in Tornado Alley, people might've had five or 10 minutes lead mm-hmm. time on at the El Reno tornado in 2013. Listen, here's how good the forecasting was 24 hours ahead of time. We looked at the fork and by the way, not my forecast, I'm looking at the mm-hmm. national weather service, uh, you know, the storm prediction center out of Norman, Oklahoma. I mean, I'm not, this, this, this isn't my brain, Mm-hmm. I, I'm just interpreting data from really, really, really smart people. But we put a pin in a map, mm-hmm. literally put a pin in a map 24 hours ahead of time. And I woke up in a hotel room in El Reno, Oklahoma. And at three o'clock in the afternoon that day, El Reno, Oklahoma took a direct hit from the largest tornado ever recorded on earth. Wow. Like wow. that. That's how level, good the, the technology is to pinpoint where these things are going to happen. That's right. And, it, and that was 2013. Mm-hmm. Conrad, today, it's even better than that. Wow. Okay. And so uh, one of the things I've been really proud of is, is not just doing the freelance reporting on storms and stuff, but we provide to the National Weather Service uh, up here in Canada to Environment Canada, we provide photo and video for research purposes. They, mm-hmm. they look at these events and they want to understand how they behave. And when you're looking at a 2D radar image in an office in you know, a, a building in uh, you know, downtown somewhere, when you have f- photographic evidence of what you're seeing, mm. it, it adds to, uh, and that wasn't something that could happen prior to mm. the invention of digital photography. So mm-hmm. it's been a hell of a ride. Wow. Again, so, long answer to a very short question. Yeah. But. Well, I want to get into some of those things that you mentioned earlier. First, I want to say, how do you stay safe when you're in a storm? You mentioned your truck and all, all that, but what are some other things that you use, technologies, things that you use to keep your you and your team safe? Well, we use satellite radar. So uh, on, my, on my laptop, I've got uh, radar, which is essentially real time, as close to real time as we can get, in some cases down to a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. So mm-hmm. we can actually see what's in front of us we can actually see in in basically real time on on the laptop that's literally sitting on the dashboard in the vehicle so that's the big one without that information to tell me what direction things are moving and you know what the potential Mm -hmm. hazards are it would be you know much more dangerous i'm not going to say it's not dangerous but 
Sure. Um, I feel like we're mitigating as much as possible mm-hmm. those 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 concerns. And then the other uh, big one is communications. Mm. Communications can't be overstated. Like uh, in terms of, for example, my job in the truck besides the photography is I'm uh, I'm the navigator, mm. and I'm I'm using real time GPS navigation so that I can see. 10 miles in front of me, 20 miles in front of me, where the road network goes, where the rivers are that we need to cross, where the lakes are, uh, where the roads have been, you know, washed out or it's amazing, amazing technology. Mm -hmm. And then communications, we're, we're constantly in contact with not only other storm chasers to triangulate around storms, but we're, we're also um, able to communicate with the national weather service to report on what it is we're seeing. The number of times that I've called 911 in different jurisdictions uh, about tornadoes. um, I, I can't, I can't, I don't know the exact number, but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to count that on, on my, on my hands and toes, put it Mm -hmm. that way. So I know you, your main job, as you said, is photography. What kind of camera gear do you, I'm, I'm a camera nerd. So what, <laughs> yeah, what yeah. kind of gear do you use? I use it all. Yeah. <laughs> so I use, uh, uh, I use uh, Nikon and Canon uh, cameras primarily. Uh, I went through a Sony phase, uh, still have some Sony equipment, but uh, you know, I, I teach photography as well during the off season and uh, so when you're teaching people photography, you got to kind of know how it all know works. Everything, so, right. yeah, so, so I've got a, a, a I think um, most photographers would be a little jealous of my collection of <laughs> uh, camera equipment that I have. <laughs> and you live stream some of these things too, don't you? Yeah, I don't do a ton of that anymore. And, and really that's just because human beings are terrible. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of that, Conrad, but... I've heard uh, of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> People can be pretty awful. And, and right. you know, when you're live streaming, which sounds like a really wonderful thing at first, and it can be, listen, there, there's some real big advantages to, to live streaming in terms of uh, public safety and those kinds of things. But if you use the wrong language when you're in a heated, stressful environment, if uh, my driver uh, in, uh, you know, a certain situation maybe doesn't, do something that's completely legal from a mm-hmm. Highway Traffic Act situation. Mm-hmm. You know, people are are quick to jump on those kinds of things, and, and I mean with good reason. Mm-hmm. But I, I was spending so much time <laughs> managing that, that. That's no fun. That's no yeah. fun. That took, yeah. that took the fun out of it. So now that we can live stream right from our phones, mm-hmm. uh, what I do is when we're in uh, really heated, stressful newsworthy situations Mm -hmm. is I will uh, on my phone live stream for, you know, short stints, two Mm -hmm. minutes, three minutes on Instagram or Twitter or something. And then uh, um, that seems to do pretty well, but yeah, Mm -hmm. we don't do a ton of that anymore. What's a typical day like for you when you're on the road? Oh, (laughs) uh, stinky. Uh, <laughs> I want you to imagine, uh, uh, you know, if we've got a camera crew with us, uh, four people in a vehicle, we are usually on the road by seven or eight in the morning, which by the time we mic up, um, and, you know, test out camera gear and make sure everything's running, uh, properly, you know, we're usually up in the morning, six in the morning. 
And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a photographer and these storms don't stop when it gets dark. <laughs> we may not be able to film video at that stage, but mm -hmm. that's where I get some of my favorite uh, uh, photographs. And, you know, oftentimes, Conrad, we're not back to the hotel till midnight and we don't know where we're going to be staying, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, wherever the storm takes us. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, that sort of, uh, and, and, and on the plains during storm season in the month of May, there's pretty much a storm every day somewhere. Sure. So we're going from Des Moines, Iowa to, uh, you know, Rapid City, South Dakota. And then the next day, uh, we're trying to make it down to Amarillo, Texas. Mm -hmm. And then the next day, uh, we're heading up to Kansas. And, you know, that it just, we're just crazy. So you're putting on some miles. Oh, damn. <laughs> we're, we're, we're probably doing 40 to 50,000 miles in a, in a seat, typical season. Wow. So what really motivates you? What, what's the motivation behind doing this? Because most people that like to be safe think that this is really crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there is certainly uh, an adrenaline component to it. I mean, not going to lie. The, uh, the, um, on the photo side, the desire, the uh, challenge of getting that shot Never, never goes away. Uh, I'll tell you a, a great story of a great story of disappointment that I have. So on uh, uh, June 16th of 2014, I was at uh, in Northeast Nebraska uh, at Pilgrim, Nebraska. I had mentioned the twin tornadoes to you. Mm -hmm. It was a generational event. It was a uh, something no one else has ever witnessed. Um, and I've got front row seats and killer photos like just mm. like mind mind-blowing images and unfortunately for me that was the last day that we were able to chase and we had to start heading home mm -hmm. the very next day uh there was a um uh, another major tornado event about 40 miles away from the one that we photographed i didn't get to see it mm. I didn't get to be there. Here I've got in my hand, on my laptop, I've got some of the world's greatest tornado photos. And I'm just like almost to tears that we weren't. Going to miss another one. Miss, miss the next one. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and wow. no matter how, how good it gets, it, it's, it, there's always a sense of like, you know, the, it, this is going to, this is, there's going to be another event. Mm -hmm. Damn, I, I really, really want to be there. Mm. I don't, I don't you know, know if that's the motivation or if that's the symptom. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's a symptom. Yeah. So you mentioned more Oklahoma. Uh, I know you were. Yeah, we were there. Yeah. At that one. So I was actually on the backside of that storm. Mm. I was in northern Texas mm -hmm. and I looked east that evening and I was like, holy cow, that is a storm. And the next day I saw the news and of the devastation. Yeah, and I actually have a photograph of that that cloud, that huge, huge cloud. You know, it was it was a beautiful sunset. The sun was hitting it. It was just gorgeous looking. But I was like, that is trouble. Yeah, more more was um, you know more was in a, in a lot of ways like Joplin, uh, not quite to the level that Joplin mm -hmm. was, but it was an EF five killed a lot of people, a bunch of school children, unfortunately, right. did a lot of devastation through uh, Metro Oklahoma City uh, and the suburbs there. Uh, 
Moore was one of those events that, you know, those aren't fun. Nobody, you know, nobody, nobody comes away from an event like Moore and, and thinks, man, that was great. Mm. I love storm chasing. I love, you know, those. What's it like rolling into a city or a town in an aftermath like that? What's that like? You know, it's it's like um, there's a little bit of a, a gawker hmm. feeling, you know, where you're like, you know, damn, like, do do we really need or want to be here? Mm-hmm. But then we start talking to people and getting them on camera and telling their story, you know, and, and a lot of times I, you know, I, I, I you know, kind of like you do, ask an interesting question and just let people go just let them Mm -hmm. just let them talk and uh hearing stories and then being able to share those stories is pretty pretty amazing but you know when we initially drive into a community like that and and you're looking at a scene in front of you where I, i want you to imagine how violent the wind needs to be to take um a four foot diameter oak tree and strip the bark and the branches off of it. Not even pull it out of the ground, mm. not snap it at the trunk, but literally uh, debark the tree. Mm. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unfathomable, really. Like right. it's, 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 it's hard to imagine. Yeah. This is the thing that's so incredible. And, and I think the part of the mystery of tornadoes and severe weather is that you're driving through this community and on one side of the road over here to the right, you're looking at a concrete slab mm-hmm. that a house used to be on. Mm-hmm. You can actually see the, the tiles from the kitchen still mm-hmm. there on the ground on the concrete slab, but there's mm-hmm. no walls around. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's on this side of the road. Mm-hmm. And on this side of the road, literally, like I'm, I'm talking a uh, hundred and 50 feet away, mm-hmm. um, there's a home uh, that has some broken windows and a few shingles missing from the roof. Mm-hmm. And the, the backyard neighbor to that house, the, the lawn furniture is still sitting in mm-hmm. the backyard. The, the things you see, I mean, I could, yeah. you, I could answer that question with a thousand different anecdotes yeah. of things that you see that just make <laughs> Just, you know, sometimes you just sit back and you go, what in the hell am I looking at right now? It's, what, it's fascinating. Where is the balance between being a journalist and being a helper? Oh, wow. That, you know what? Uh, okay. So I have never photographed a dead body, for example. Mm-hmm. It's just not my, like, um, I, I haven't photographed uh, people in distress. As an and example. you've seen those. You've seen those. Oh, things. absolutely, absolutely. Sure. But I've never photographed that. Sure. Is there value in it, like monetary value? Probably. Hmm. I just I can't pull the trigger on that. Mm-hmm. I just I just can't do it. Uh, we were in Valonia, Arkansas, uh, in uh, 2014. Took a direct hit from an EF4 tornado at night in the dark. Hmm. We were one of the handful of first vehicles on scene in the minutes, minutes after the tornado went Mm -hmm. through. It wasn't until about five hours later that I pulled the camera out Mm. and approached a police officer. Actually, it was a a state trooper, Arkansas state trooper. Mm. I said, listen, 
we've been here since the thing hit. I have a little bit of a job to do as well. I don't want to do anything that's going to be uncomfortable for anybody. Mm -hmm. They're clearing already people out because of, you know, looting and, you know, Mm -hmm. all the the rest of that. Not Mm -hmm. that that was happening, but to prevent that. And Mm -hmm. so he, he sort of escorted me around 10 minutes tops and I had an opportunity to, to, to get my, my images. But, but that was hours later, you know, mm-hmm. like when in that moment, we were just there. Uh, we, I'm fortunate when we're filming for a television show, we have an EMT who, uh, or paramedic, uh, which um, uh, drives our production vehicle mm-hmm. and uh, was on scene with us. So we set up a little triage station. We mm-hmm. were doing first aid. We were helping uh, before emergency personnel got there to do their job. And it was just, people there Mm -hmm. we were going from you know pile of rubble to 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 another pile of rubble to see if anybody needed uh assistance there's no camera in the hand at that point Mm -hmm. like that's just not like i i don't want to sound like uh, like i'm doing anything special Mm -hmm. it's not it's just i I would probably get fired from a major newspaper if I worked for them because I just can't, that's not, that's not a shot I'm interested in. I, sure. you know, I, I want, uh, I want the, and you have the option to do that, right? You have the hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally that, that, that's, that, that could be a big part of the yeah. big part of the, And you know what? That's probably a very newsworthy story, mm. but just not my jam. So on that thought, what, or how does chasing these storms and documenting these storms, how does it serve the greater good? Wow, that's a great, that's a great question. And I've been asked that a, a lot. And uh, my answer has actually changed over the years. Hmm. So I would have, uh, I would have told you, uh, I would have told you eight years ago that, uh, you know, we're helping keep people safe. We're helping keep people safe. And there might've been an element to that, uh, element of truth to that. But, uh, at this stage, I, I think, you know, the, the, the greater good part is, um, in the stories. Hmm. And I, and I've got, I've got such a reservoir right now of incredible stories. Uh, some of them are, are stories of loss. Some of them are incredible stories of survival. Hmm. Storytelling is, is, is powerful stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I put a, message out via the national weather service that says, Hey, you should prepare in the event of a tornado. If you live in these areas in the springtime, that gets ignored pretty quick. Mm -hmm. It's not a great story, right? But if I can share incredible stories of danger and um, close calls and stories of survival and things that people did, to stay safe. If I can share that with enough people, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's one family in Arkansas next spring who hears a tornado siren and decides, yeah, you know what, let's go down to the basement now. Let's go down to the cellar now. And it saves and their life. Maybe. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I can't verify mm-hmm. that right now, but maybe, mm-hmm. maybe by telling that story enough times that uh, uh, somebody will benefit from that. Mm. What do you think in the course of your career, both, you know, previous career and what you're doing now, what are some of those big life lessons that help are, are, are perhaps guiding principles for you? Uh, you know, I don't know if you ever saw the movie. Yes, man. 
but I think one of the things is not saying no to things mm. <laughs> like, and, and not, 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 not necessarily, and maybe yes, man's a bad example. It was kind of a goofy movie, but the idea that, you know, you know, when my kids now say, Hey, do you want to go do a thing? I go, yes, that's my answer. Yes, I do. Mm. I am really tired and I really don't want to get off this couch right now. And I really don't want to, but the answer is yes. I've never regretted. Have any of us would ever regret that decision? We do a lot of self-defeating things in our lives where we tell ourselves we can't lose that weight. We'll, we'll never be able to learn to do this thing. And um, when you just start saying yes to stuff, as opposed to no, um, good things, good things can happen. Uh, there, there was a great story. I don't know if you know the story of Randy Posh, Dr. Randy Posh. Do you know, mm, do you know? No, okay, man, you should look this one up. So there's a great video on YouTube. So Randy, uh, contracted cancer and he was a, a researcher and a professor at, and I'm going to get the school wrong. So I'm not even going to mention it. He, um, he ended up with terminal cancer but he felt fine. He was doing pushups on the stage. Uh, and he entitled his thing called the, the last, Le- my last lecture. Okay. If you mm. knew you could, if you knew you were going to have an opportunity to give one last lecture, what would you say? And there was a great story. And anyway, you got to watch it. I'm not going to give away the whole thing, mm. but there was one great story that Randy said, and I think, I think it might've been MIT. I could, I could be wrong. Anyway, uh, but one great story that he had was a story about having a, a nephew. Uh, and this nephew was in this back of this car he had that, uh, you know, he rebuilt this car and it was like his prize joy and everything. And the kid spilt a, uh, his can of Coke in the back seat. Hmm. And the kid started crying because he knew he was going to be in trouble. And Randy took that what was left in the can and he poured it out on the back seat of the, the car. And the kid was like, what? And he said, it's just a car. Hmm. You know, he goes, my car wasn't as important as that kid not being upset about mm-hmm. what happened to the car. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, man, that's a, that's a great story. And by the way, I, I watched Randy's video right around the same time that I was getting into Gladwell's outliers and I was going through my own sort of reckoning with my children. And so the, the story really resonated. And um, if you get a chance, uh, my last, I think it's called my last lecture, but it's Dr. Oh. Randy Posh and, and Posh is, I think P A T S C H or something, mm-hmm. something like that. But I'll definitely look it up. Yeah. Amazing. He was on Oprah, by the way. That's where okay. I first saw it. <laughs> okay. Very cool. So I'm a filmmaker and, you know, whenever you're making a movie, you, you write a log line that kind of describes that film. So when the movie about oh, your God. life is made. Oh, God. When that movie's made about you, what will the log line be? Log line. So something along the lines of, here's a story. I got to use the word story in there. Here's a story uh, about a man who had an incredible opportunity and seized upon it. Hmm. Very cool. I think it would be that simple. I like it. Yeah. So what's next for you? Are you going to be hunting tornadoes this, this next season? Well, you know, uh, 2020 was, uh, I don't know if you've heard about 2020. Um, was that something? Yeah, it was, it was, it was a thing. It It was was a a thing. thing. (laughs) It was a thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, 2020 might get talked about for a while. <laughs> um, Were you chasing last summer? Uh, only in Canada. Oh, okay. uh, the yeah, couldn't come, come across yeah, the border. The, the, board, the border was closed, and uh, so we couldn't make it across. Sadly, I mean, we're two and a half months away from tornado season right now. Mm-hmm. And based on what's going on right now on both sides of the border, I cannot foresee a situation where that border is going to be open for 2021. So mm-hmm. um, it's been kind of tough times in in my world as far as content is concerned, because, um, you know, if you're, uh, if you're, <laughs> if you're covering breaking news mm. stories, and you can't go where there's breaking news. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. makes things a little. So I'm I've been focusing on teaching and uh, mm-hmm. teaching photography, and uh, so that's been great. And I've actually really been enjoying it. So the the question is, what's next? You know, I don't I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. I transition more in, into the into the teaching. But uh, mm-hmm. so you've written a number of books, including the one I have, Blown Away. And yeah. What are some of the other ones that you have? That so I have a uh, I have a book called Why Is the Sky Green. Mm-hmm which is uh, a play on the fact that uh, storms that produce tornadoes and uh, catastrophic hail events typically have a green hue to them. Mm-hmm. So and I people have that, to get the book to find out why the sky is green. Yeah, right? why is the sky <laughs> green? Uh, and then my most recent book actually was a compilation of photographs, not of my images, but uh, images that my photographic students have uh, taken. Mm. And, it, and it's a book called Camera Canada Portrait of a Nation. Mm. And uh, I have uh, I have students across the US and Canada. But um, uh, I got my Canadian students to submit images from across the country and created this uh, coffee table book, which uh, yeah, is a portrait of very a cool. little, little slice of Canada. Thinking back at, at the millions of photos that you've taken, what's one that's your like, your, 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 your photo. You're just like, this is it. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, I, let's go, uh, life and then we'll go tornado. So I'm going to okay, give you sure, two. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the day my, uh, youngest daughter was born in mm-hmm. 2006, uh, she still had the, that white mm-hmm. vernix still covering her. Uh, the, the umbilical cord had just been snipped, but it was still sort of sticking out. She's sitting on that little table with the chicken lights above her to keep Mm -hmm. her keep her warm and uh she's giving me the finger (laughs) (laughs) she's starting out early right (laughs) oh my god by far my favorite photo i've ever taken by far no nothing else even comes close and then when it comes to uh tornadoes uh i've got i I mean i literally have hundreds that i sort of flip between but uh in 2016 i was at Dodge City, Kansas, mm. and uh, witnessed what we call the best case scenario. Uh, it was a tornado that uh, tornado family actually twelve tornadoes over uh, over about an hour and a half period, and uh, none of them hit any major structures or mm-hmm. towns or farms. Uh, there was no loss of life, no injuries. And uh, it was one of the most photogenic tornadoes on earth. Mm. And at times, I was two hundred yards away from it. No kidding. Wow. And, you know, uh, there's, there's probably a half a dozen shots in particular from that event that I would say, yeah, this is my, this is my national geographic moment. This is the shot I want you to use for my cover. Okay. Mm-hmm. There you go. 
<laughs> yeah. Very cool. So where can people see your work? Where can they find your, I mean, I know you're on several television shows or, or a television show. Where can people Yeah. Find so, uh, I mean, uh, you'll, you'll see me pop up from time to time on the weather channel, uh, mm-hmm. on different documentaries, uh, um, and, uh, you know, around the world, depending where you're tuning in from, there's lots of different, uh, TV shows. Uh, but, uh, on, I was on a Netflix, Netflix show called tornado hunters. Uh, it's now on, I think, uh, HBO, HBO max or something. No, like HBO, that. HBO on demand. Okay. okay. On, uh, on gotcha. Amazon, on Amazon mm-hmm. prime. And, uh, and then on, uh, Twitter, uh, tornado, Greg, Instagram, tornado, Greg. And, uh, if you look up, Greg Johnson, Tornado Hunter on Facebook. Uh, I will pop up there as well. Very cool. Well, Greg, it's been a lot of fun talking to you and hearing your story. And I uh, really appreciate the work that you do. I appreciate your photography. It's amazing photography and amazing thank work. You, thank so you. thank you for contributing to our world in the way that you have over the, over the last number of years. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, thank you very much. And I can't wait to see... Uh, Obviously, we don't want huge storms to destroy people and places, but uh, can't wait to see that next amazing photograph that you have. So it's always been kind of a hidden. uh, You're uh, a closet storm chaser. I am. I am. And I love weather. I love watching storms. So a little fun story. When we first moved to Maryland, and Maryland's not really known for that many big storms, and we've had a few, but so we we were living in this apartment complex down, down in Frederick. We got word through the various, this was back in 2003, I think. Okay. So, however, the word got out that there's a tornado coming. And so, I had the TV on. I saw the, the radar on, the, on television. So, I told my family to please go to the basement. And I grabbed the camera and ran outside. And the tornado was literally a mile across the fields south of us. Damn. And I got a few blurry grainy pictures of it before my wife was like screaming at me like get back in here (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i am a closet tornado chaser and (laughs) would love to uh you know one day maybe take a summer and do that yeah uh, across the central plains yeah i get it i get it (laughs) (laughs) but uh so if if someone wants to get into that kind of a thing what would you say warnings what would you recommend or or not uh education 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 if you start at uh the storm prediction center just google storm prediction center and you go to their website the number the rabbit holes of education and learning and information that you can get into when it comes to severe weather is uh limitless really and uh uh, but without uh without having some you know, even basic uh, understanding of what's going on. I mean, it can be really dangerous. So yeah, education is the big one and uh, spc.noaa.gov or Google Storm Prediction Center and that's where to find it. Very good. Well, Greg, thanks for being on the My Story podcast today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Greg, let me know if you ever need a camera operator. I'd love to tag along and chase a few storms with you. Next time on the My Story podcast, my guest will be Jennifer Hartman. Jennifer is the global head of PR and social media for the John Deere Company. She's also a mom and a passionate autism advocate, and she's the founder of the Royal Ball Run for Autism. Don't miss her compelling story next time on the My Story podcast.
Hey, thanks so much for listening to the My Story podcast. I know there's a lot of podcasts out there that you could listen to. And the fact that you stopped by and listened to this one makes me feel really good. So thank you very much. And if you really like what you hear, leave a review. I'd love to know what you're enjoying and what you're not. And if you could share this with a friend or a family member, that would be awesome as well. The music on today's show is from my friend, Drew Davidson. You can get all of his music at iTunes or Spotify or at drewdavidson.com. And if you like what you heard today, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again next time on the My Story Podcast. Podcast.